Welcome to the Community Church Podcast. This is the first week of our series on Matthew chapters 14 and 15 called Beyond the Boat. If you'd like to take notes, there's a link for that in the show notes. Thanks for joining us. And without further ado, here's Pastor Mike. Well, we've had a chance to, over the last couple of weeks to take a break from our, our study. And we've been in the study of the Gospel of Matthew. And the last couple of weeks, we took a break and we looked at Proverbs and specifically, you know, what is wisdom and how does that relate to family? And now we're going to dive back into Matthew. So in the next couple of months, we're going to be in Matthew chapters 14 and 15. And in the middle of that, it deals with that whole story of Peter and getting out of the boat and walking on water. And, and we're going to see that one of the themes throughout this whole section is that Jesus is calling us to get out of our comfort zone. To get out of you know where 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 we think that our faith should be, often saying things that are that are challenging and hard, and uh, so this morning we're going to look at Matthew chapter fourteen verses one through twelve. It's a, it's a very unusual story, in that you know it's about the story of Jesus, and yet this one barely mentions Jesus. It's more about this guy called uh, Herod the Tetrarch and and John the Baptist. And uh, and so we're gonna, if we have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to open it up, turn there to follow along throughout our time throughout that. We're going to also, I'll let you know, go to spend some time in John chapter three. So you might want to put a finger there as well. And uh, but let me begin by reading this passage we're going to look at Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse one. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus. And he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oath and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison and his head was brought out on a platter and given to the girl and she brought it to her mother and his disciples came and took the body and, and buried it and they went and told Jesus. May God bless the reading of his word. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the privilege that we have again to be here this morning. Father, to be able to worship you, to celebrate you, what you're doing. Father, now to be able to spend some time diving in your word. I thank you that, that you're teaching me throughout my own study to understand this. And Father, I pray now that you get me out of the way and that your spirit would speak through me and in spite of me. And Father, help us to hear not the words of a man, my opinions, but Father, help us to hear the word of God. And Father, I pray that you'd allow each one of us to have, have a, a spirit that is sensitive to your Holy Spirit to hear and respond to what you may have for us this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the term cancel culture is a term that is kind of a new phrase, uh, but it's an idea that has become kind of a major issue in our contemporary world. It is defined as a phenomenon or practice of publicly rejecting, boycotting, or attacking a particular people or group because they have views or have done things that are considered socially or morally unacceptable to the person who's doing the attacking. Now, over the past couple of years, there have been all kinds of things that have been historically part of our culture that are now considered unacceptable and have been canceled because they might offend some. And these range from Dr. Seuss books to Aunt Jemima pancakes to Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head to the little police dog on the children's show, Paw Patrol. 
And um, in fact, for those of us from Northeast Ohio, we can see even one thing that is maybe more relevant to us that has been canceled because it's offensive to some. And, um, and that's our baseball team, no, formerly known as the Cleveland Indians. And, uh, and again, some people, yeah, that's, I mean, I, personally, I think they will always be the Indians. I mean, I was thinking, okay, maybe I should wear an Indian's hat up here the whole service, kind of make my stick. And I thought, well, I might get canceled for that, so maybe not. And, uh, you know, but the thing is, is it was offensive to some. Now we got to change the name. Now, as, as troubling as it might be as far as losing the name of our baseball team, the fact is there's a far more uh, dangerous and destructive expression of cancel culture that is going on in, in, our, in our world today. And that is it that's been common for many people uh, in positions of power influence to turn their attacks on a follower of Christ who will speak openly about their faith or about their belief in biblical morality. And let me even give you a couple recent examples in the last handful of years. Several years ago in Atlanta, there was a, their fire chief was a man named Kevin Cochran. And he was fired for, 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 on his own time, he had written a book and self-published a men's Bible study book. And as part of that Bible study book, he affirmed a biblical view of sex and marriage. And people heard about that and found it, and he was fired for that. Uh, this this past year. There was a big news about a Supreme Court case that had gone all the way to Supreme Court. It was about this uh, guy named Joseph Kennedy. He was a football coach at a high school in Washington State. At the end of each game, he would quietly go up to the uh, to middle field of the, the stadium, take a knee and pray and just thank God for everything that had happened. He was told that he couldn't do that. When he continued, he was fired for that expression of his faith. And, and again, now these are all being fought in courts and these both resolve themselves well. But what you see is this movement where you have people again in positions of influence and power that are using that to try to take any who would stand for Christ, stand for biblical morality, and, and attacking in such a way that anything from social media, attacking reputation, to even trying to cause people to get fired from their job, or trying to destroy businesses. It's a kind of bullying. Now the question is, is this something that is new? Well, we say the social media aspect is new, and and while it might be somewhat new for a country, actually, if you study historically, you find it's actually not true or new for something for followers of Christ. This is the kind of thing that followers of Christ have experienced to some degree or, or other since the history of the church. In fact, what we're going to see this morning is that's kind of the attitude that was going on here in this story in Matthew 14. But let me start out our passage by pointing out something, a kind of a question that's kind of makes you think here in the beginning of the story. If you, if you have your Bibles, go to Matthew 14. And again, let me read the first two verses. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus. And he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He's been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers at work within him. So, so Jesus' ministry is growing. People are following him and his fame is growing. And Herod hears about that. And his first thought is, this is John the Baptist. You know, the guy that I had executed last year. Well, he's risen from the dead and he's now continuing the ministry in the form of Jesus. Now, if you think about it for a minute, Herod's response was really illogical. It was unusual. You know, Jesus was just a few months younger than John the Baptist. His ministry had started while John the Baptist was still alive. They had been preaching to, you know, uh, at the same time, you know, for, for, for months. And so now he's sitting there and saying, the first thing he hears, and he gives this wild illogical response, well, maybe Jesus is John the Baptist. And you have to say, why does he say that? Why does he think that? What's going on there? 
But keep that question in the back of your mind. We'll come back to it later on. But let's look at the story and, and try to figure out the first thing is we read about this guy here and we say, well, who was he? And what we're going to see is that he was a guy that had tremendous power, but yet was also living a life of more compromise. See, it refers to him in Matthew as Herod the Tetrarch. Uh, he's also referred to uh, other places and historically as Herod Antipas. He was one of the sons of a guy named Herod the Great or King Herod. So if you go all the way back to Matthew chapter two, when we hear the story of Jesus' birth, remember the wise men come to King Herod and they talk about seeing the star and a baby that was going to be born. Well, that's this, this, this guy's dad. And, and this guy had been so threatened by the news of a baby being born. He had all the children, the adult or the boy children in Bethlehem, two years and younger killed. So not a good guy. Now, who was he? Well, when the Romans conquered an area, what they would do is that they would take a local person, somebody that was, you know, ostensibly represented, uh, you know, that part of the population and install them as kind of a figurehead ruler. And Herod the Great was, was Jewish, racially Jewish, but his loyalty to, was to Rome. And, but his, his Jewishness allowed them to install him as king of the Jews, even though he was just, again, a puppet ruler for Rome. Now, he ruled and died in 4 AD, so shortly after Jesus' birth. And at that time, he divided his kingdom into four pieces, and he put his four sons in charge of these four pieces. One of the sons was this guy here at Antipas. Another one, we're going to read about him in a moment, was a guy named Philip. And so both of them had pieces. Herod Antipas was specifically over the Jerusalem area. Now, now here's where the story gets strange. There's a lot of history. Here's where the you see realize this family was really strange. Okay, Philip, again, one of his brothers, married his niece. So there was another brother who had a daughter. Philip married his, his niece, his brother's daughter. And, and Herodias had also gotten married, or the niece was, I'm sorry, Herodias, and Herod the Tetrarch was also married to, to an Arabian princess. But then on a visit to Philip, his brother, he kind of fell in love with Herodias, who was his sister-in-law and his niece. And he decided, well, I'm gonna divorce my wife. They both divorced their spouses. And now Herodias, his sister-in-law and his niece now comes and lives with Herod, bringing her adult, uh, young adult daughter. And um, now again, if you think about this, you have all these, you know, you know, sleaze and scandal. You've got adultery, divorce, betrayal, incest, high level political maneuvering, all of this. And here we have this Herod Antipas, this guy who's Jewish by, you know, by lineage, claims to represent the Jewish people. And as, as a Jewish person, he knew the Old Testament. He knew what the Bible taught about morality. And he's leaning on his Jewishness of credibility and he's living this incredibly immoral lifestyle. That's the context in which John hears about this, John the Baptist, and we're told in verses three and four that John now starts to publicly speak against or denounce his actions. We're told in verse four, he said, it's not lawful for you to have her. And this offended Herod, it offended even more so Herodias. And they tried to use his power to shut him up, to cancel him. Now, let me ask you a question. As you hear this story, there's a lot of story. Was John right in calling out Herod and Herodias? Now, according to the values of our time and our culture, many would say no. What? Because, well, he was being judgmental. You know, he's, this is their, you know, their, their personal moral choices and his words offended Herodias. And according to the rules of our culture, anything that you say that is offensive to another person, that's being judgmental, that's being hateful. 
was John being hateful and judgmental towards Herod and Herodias. See, in our time, anytime somebody speaks against something, especially any sexual thing, well, that we add phobic to him. You're this phobic. And okay, so was he being adultery phobic? Was he being incest phobic here? Uh, was he being hateful and saying things that they didn't want to hear? When you think about it and you see what the Bible teaches, what you find is that this wasn't driven by hate. It was driven by love. See, John was speaking the truth of God's word, the truth that God had given him to speak. And speaking God's truth is an expression of love. Even though that truth went against their lifestyle, even though it was something that they didn't like because it was truth, one of the things we talked about in the Proverbs series is that God builds truth into the world. And when we align our lives with that truth, life works better. When we disregard that truth, life becomes broken. And so here you have John speaking God's truth because it's what they needed, even if it's not what they wanted. And also remember that John is the forerunner of Jesus. He was God's sent prophet to kind of prepare the way for Jesus and his ministry. And one of the things that that means is that what John is saying is totally consistent with Jesus and what he said. Now, many people today, again, miss this aspect of Jesus and his ministry. There are a lot of people that look at this and say, well, no, Jesus was all about love. He was all about grace. He was, he was all about affirming. And so the spirit of Jesus means that we're going to affirm all moral, life, moral and lifestyle decisions. And, and, um, but again, if you, you believe that, that's your own image of Jesus. It's not coming from the Jesus, the real Jesus, as he's portrayed in the Bible. Because Jesus speaks truth. John's ministry here is an expression of Jesus' heart. But let me show you that even from a, another passage. We're going to spend a little time in John chapter 3. Probably one of the best known verses in all of the Bible is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's all about God's love. And God is a God of love. How much did he love? He loved so much that he gave. He gave his son. He gave his most precious thing to meet our greatest and deepest need. And why? So that all that would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, what we need to realize this is a great passage. But in this statement in John it doesn't stop there. Jesus doesn't stop there teaching truth. You know, I think that Jesus, in a sense, knew that there'd be people that would try to redefine his love as being, well, it's just all about affirming. He loves and he gives and he accepts. And, and so Jesus continues and says, okay, this is my love, but here's the full expression of my love. And, and he says, okay, here's how Jesus demonstrates God's love. Let's look at what it says. Yes, by giving his life, that's a clear aspect of to meet our need. But there's other things that we cannot miss that are part of that. Look at what he says in verse 19, a couple of verses later, John 3, 19. And this is the judgment. Light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their works were evil. Jesus is light, light that has come into the world, light that exposes what is true. And not everyone likes the light. You know, people love darkness. He continues. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. There are people that hate it, that respond negatively. Why? Because it's exposing things that people don't want exposed. But he continues, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And so what they're seeing here is that part of Jesus' ministry and being a light is that Jesus comes to illuminate our sin and its consequences. That it's not just about, okay, well, he comes and he lives and he accepts. No, he comes and he illuminates truth. 
And in that truth, he illuminates sin. He illuminates things that are wrong in our life. And not only that, the consequences. Actually, this theme of Jesus being light is throughout the Bible, especially true in, the, in, in, uh, in John, the book of John. The whole book of John begins with this whole imagery that he's light. John 1, 4, in him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and darkness has not overcome it. He's life, he's truth. That he comes and he speaks truth. He's the truth about all things. And that light is the life of men because the more that we align with truth, the more that we discover what we were created for, we discover true life. So he is the truth about God. He is the truth about ourselves, the truth about salvation, the truth about our world, the truth about what is good and what is beautiful. He's the truth about what is wrong and what is sinful, the truth about the way we ought to live, the all right feeling, all right belief, all right behavior, in a sense, should be measured by Jesus. And when he gives us that truth, and again, what it means is that not everyone will like everything that we hear because at times that truth will expose things that are darkness. That's what, again, he says, verse 20, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light lest his works should be exposed. And so what Jesus is teaching here is that God's love gives us the truth we need, not the lies we think we want. You see, our culture will try to redefine, again, love as always accepting and affirming everyone and their lifestyle choices, the morality. If anything is wrong, you know, so, well, that's being hateful, that's being judgmental. But Jesus is saying, no, I came to be light. And that means exposing truth. And that means exposing sin is sin. And therefore, there are going to be people that don't like it because it steps on toes and it offends and, and we don't want our sins to be exposed. But as much as people hate it and even reject it, Jesus is saying, no, this is a necessary expression of my love because it's what you need. See, it's not only that he reveals sin to be sin, but it's also clear about the consequences of sin. So we love John 3, 16. We'll go back to the end of that verse. What does it say? That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, what is it saying? If you don't believe in him, you will perish. If you don't believe in him, you will not have eternal life. There's a sense of that's the consequence of sin. And Jesus has come to die on the cross so that he would save us from those consequences. But even as that light exposes our sin, here's the beautiful thing, is that Jesus didn't come to be the light to expose, to condemn. He speaks truth, the truth of where we're already at. He, he exposes the need that's already there. He's not coming and trying to condemn or beat us down. Or He's just saying, here are the need that's already there. Let's go to John 3, 17. What does it say? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And basically what he's saying here is that, is that apart from Christ, we're already condemned. We're all sinners. The fact of the matter, it isn't like, well, here are the bad people. No, all of us, apart from Christ, all of us, apart, I'm a sinner that I, that I needed Christ. That's my only hope. And that may sound harsh, but what we have to realize is that Jesus is saying, I'm revealing that need because that's part of the perfect expression of God's love. Until we see the need, we will not understand the cure. We understand this in a physical realm, all right? So we all go to the doctor. Hopefully, hopefully most of us do. Now, I don't, I don't like everything my doctor says to me. 
I mean, there are times that, you know, I've, I've gone in and he says, take your shirt off and just take my shirt off. So oh, you got some gut there. You're so, oh, man, I don't want to hear that. You know, it's like, okay, he's saying things I don't want to hear, but it's truth that he says, okay, that's not healthy. And, and I don't like everything that he does. I mean, he does some tests on me that, and many men can re relate to this. It's like, there are some very unpleasant things that, that go on in that doctor appointment. I, I don't like that. Do I want to find a doctor that's always going to say nice things and never do anything that's going to hurt me? No. Now, let's say you go to the doctor and your doctor says, you know, I have bad news. You know, we've done this test. We found out that you have this one form of cancer. It's a terminal cancer. Um, you know, you know, I'm sorry to have this news. Now, let me ask you, has the doctor condemned you? Has he caused the cancer to come? No. No, the cancer was there. What he's doing is he's shining light. He's saying, we've done this test. We've discovered it. Now I'm telling you where you're at. You're already there. Now, you may not like the doctor because of the news he's given you, but his giving you that news is not an act of judgment or hatred. It's a matter of compassion, of love in speaking the truth. Now, you may avoid the doctor because you don't want to hear bad news, but that's not very wise. No, we want to hear the news. We need to know the truth. Now, let's take that illustration a little further. Let's say the doctor comes to you and says, well, this is a form of cancer that is 100% fatal. It's a terminal cancer but it's also a form of cancer. They have a new disease that is 100% effective in curing it. Now, when he comes to you and tells you about the cancer, again, is he driven out of love or is he driven out of hate? No, it's love and compassion. It's, 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 if anything, there's a hatred towards the cancer. I hate what this does. So he's shining the, you know, the truth of the, of the bad news of the light of saying, here's what the cancer is, because he's not being mean, he's not being hateful, uh, again, it would be foolish to avoid that. He's saying, here's what is true. I'm exposing the cancer, not because I'm pro-cancer, not because I'm pro-suffering, because I'm anti-cancer and you need to see the cancer so that it can now tell you about the cure. Only by exposing the cancer and being honest about the suffering which the cancer can bring will it cause anyone to go now and take the cure. Now, here's something we understand physically. We will never find the cure until we accept the reality of the disease. The same thing is true spiritually. See, we will never be able to see God's grace until we first of all see our need. That's what's going on here. See, Jesus, in a sense, is a doctor. He's speaking truth, and he's saying, here's the truth about the state of your soul. And, and he's speaking that truth in a way that we may not always want to hear, but it's truth that drives us towards grace. I love where it talks about, and again, in the Gospel of John, John 1, 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory from, of the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. He's full of total grace, full of truth. He comes in, a, in, in truth, an expression of light that exposes our need, but he exposes that need because he's trying to drive us towards grace. See, and again, if we look at it, and even some churches, well, we shouldn't speak, you know, we shouldn't condemn, we shouldn't make people feel guilty. My friends, again, if we don't, if we're not aware and acknowledge our need, we will never understand our need to come to Christ and to find his forgiveness. And that's why Jesus does this. Again, he doesn't come to condemn, but he speaks words of warning. He, he offers us forgiveness through grace. He's the light of the world that comes to expose the truth he exposes our sin and need, but again, his purpose isn't to condemn, to invite, but to invite us to grace. He doesn't expose us to reject us. We're out of hatred, but out of love to bring us to grace so that we can find forgiveness and healing. 
And what does that healing look like? Again, that's where John 3:16. for God so loved the world. He loves us that much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but shall have eternal life. Whoever, this is 100% cure, it always works. The question is, have you accepted that gift? Have you, you need to admit the need. You need to say, God, I agree with you about my sin and I ask you to forgive me. I accept what Jesus has done on the cross and trust in him for the forgiveness of my sin. So Jesus' ministry was one of light, of exposing the truth. And going back to John, now what we see is that John the Baptist is in the spirit of Jesus' ministry. And he's speaking against Herod and Herodias, not out of hate, not out of, but out of love in the spirit of Jesus' ministry. But again, back then, like people today, a lot of people don't like the light. We don't like to hear anything that might shine light on something that we're doing wrong. We don't like conviction. So what do we do? We try to suppress the conviction by silencing the truth. Let's go back to Matthew 14 and see what Herod did in trying to suppress this conviction by silencing truth. First, what he did is he used his position of power to kind of create influence and create pressure that put, pushed people into cultural compromise. Now think about it. Again, Herod had lived a very immoral lifestyle. Uh, he had made these decisions very publicly. Everybody knew about it. He's representing to be the Jewish, you know, Jewish leader. He's representing himself as a Jewish person that has the right of leadership of the Jewish people. He knows the Bible, but no one called him out on what he was doing. You see, now you look at this because of his position of power and because people knew, you know, that he was kind of a nasty guy, they, I think they were afraid to. They're like, I'm not doing it. And so what he did is he intimidated people from speaking the truth. And, and I think that's a lot of what we see when we see, you know, cancel culture. That's exactly what I think is going on is that there's a sense of saying, well, if I speak out, I might pay, pay a consequence. Well, well, we shouldn't say that. And, but I love again, the spirit of John the Baptist, the spirit of Jesus that is speaking, committed to speaking God's truth. And again, John was the forerunner of Jesus. What he did was again, the heart of Jesus. Now, let me speak to an issue where we're at today. Because right, what is the issue here? It was about Herod, Herodias, it was about sex, it was about marriage, about all those things. What is God's truth? Well, the, fi- the fact is the Bible teaches that God has created sex is something to be enjoyed between a man and a woman within the context of a lifelong commitment of marriage. The Bible's clear on that. And that means that any you know, premarital sex, any extramarital sex, any sex outside of marriage between a man and woman and a lifelong commitment is something that the Bible says is wrong. It calls it sinful. Now, I know in saying that, that's very unpopular in our time and culture. I mean, a lot of people, I'm almost certainly stepping on toes. I know that. I know that there's some people that are probably, you know, and that's offensive. And, but in that, let me be clear. I'm not sharing my opinions. This is not what I think. This is not what I think you should do. What I'm trying to be faithful, like John was, and saying, here's what God's word is, and I'm just passing on God's word. This is what God is saying. And God's word is always driven by a heart of love. It's heart of compassion. Now, if you're here today and you're not living in line with that, you know, you say, man, I'm in a relationship I know is wrong. I'm not here to condemn. I'm, 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 nor am I saying, boy, you know, you don't belong here. No, we want you here. Because one of the principles that we talk about a lot that I believe is we're not saying, well, you need to clean up and come before you can come to church. No, no, you don't clean up to come to God. You come to God as you are. We come with all our mess, with all our brokenness. We come to God as we are. 
But as we come to God, what it means is now I'm going to come to God and I'm going to let him be the light and expose. And when I come to him, I'm not only going to let him expose, but I'm going to, in time, let him clean me up. And if I'm not letting him clean me up, then am I really coming to him? And so I'm, I'm challenging you to say, okay, that God is by his grace and might be poking at things. Yes, I understand that. But it's God by his grace speaking truth because he wants to invite you to his grace and forgiveness. Now, but we don't like to hear that. And again, what happened here is that you have Herod and Herodias. Uh, they tried to intimidate John. They couldn't do it. He goes out and he continues to preach. And, and so what do we read? Is that they, in verse three, we read that they had John arrested. They had him locked up. They tried to lock him up and they tried to silence the truth. Um, and he doesn't like it. And, and he's you know, thinking, boy, if I lock him up into a dungeon, he can't preach. I can't hear him. No one else can hear him. And again, I think in the same way, we have people in our culture. We don't like to hear it. What do we do? We threaten if that, okay, what can we do to cancel? How can we, you know, how can we make it so that we're trying to silence the truth? We try to lock it up. That still happens. We shouldn't be surprised for those of us who are followers of Christ. Don't be surprised by that. It actually, you know, it's throughout the Bible, we're told these kind of things will happen. I love what it says in 1 Peter chapter 4. Peter, an apostle of Jesus, said, For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want, Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Basically, he's saying, you know, that for many of us before we were Christians, that's what we used to do. That was our life. And, but the thing is, again, when we come to Christ, we let him change us. So that's, that's not who we are anymore. So we should be different. But then he continues as we live life that's different. Not everyone will understand or even like that. So with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. And basically what he's saying is you have people that look at this and they're unbelievers. They're like, well, why don't you do this? And in some degree, I think part of that is like, well, here's what I live and here's what I need. And I don't understand that you don't need it. And, and there's a sense that if our life is different, what are we doing? Just even by living life, we're light. We're, we're living by our life as saying, this is God's design. This is what's right and wrong. And so people even, you know, not you, just by our words, our actions, let alone by our words, they don't understand that. And then as a result, they malign you. Now, part of that is that they're trying to say, how do I shut you up? Part of that is that I think they're trying to expose a crack. They're trying to say, hey, if I can, if I can get you angry, if I can drag you down to my level, well, then you're no longer a light. And then I can say, well, my life's just, if their life is just broken, just like mine. I, I think of an example of this back years ago. I did a wedding of a young couple. They had both come to faith in Christ. They were, neither were from Christian families at all. She was actually from a, 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 a Jewish family, not practicing, but just culturally Jewish. And, uh, and as I got to the wedding reception, I realized how unhappy, especially her, her family was. Uh, they were very unhappy about a, 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 a pastor, about her profession of faith, about a pastor doing the wedding. And they let it be known in the wedding uh, rehearsal. I mean, they reacted up. I mean, it, uh, one of the queerest things is that I remember literally we're kind of practicing walking down the aisle and the dad decides to do a strip tease, walking his daughter down the aisle. You know, I'm literally dropping his pants, dropping his clothes on the aisle, walking down. You're like, Thick, you know, what in the world is going on? And, and the whole evening, he's walking behind me with his hand above me, giving me the finger, just like I don't notice. It's like, I mean, it's just juvenile little thing. And this young couple, they're so, you know, they're like, man, they're struggling. What's going on? And I remember talking to him and I said, you know, I, go, I remember going to this verse and saying, they don't understand your life has changed. And what they're doing is that if they can get you angry, if they can really get you off, if they can get me angry, then they're going to say, well, no, they're really not that different. 
No, they're not convicting a meal. You know, what is happening is your life is a light that's exposing something and they're hoping to quench it. That's still going to happen in our lives today. Um, and so what you want to encourage is that when people react that way, there's actually a bit of encouragement in that. Because what it means is that God's word is poking. It's there's a sensitivity. They're reacting because they don't like what they're feeling. They're actually feeling some conviction. So don't be discouraged. Be encouraged by it, even though I know it's difficult. Ask God, God will bring, can use that to convict them and ultimately bring them to repentance in Christ. But some do come and some, instead of coming, they actually double down. And uh, that's what you have here is in John's story, Herod and Herodias, you know, first of all, they, you know, pressure, then they imprison, they lock him up. And that didn't work. And so what they do, they go to the next level and it, you know, she couldn't escape the conviction. Even though they can't hear John, it's like they still hear him in the mind. So they try to kill him. And um, so, oh, I'm sorry, our, that's, not, that's not the slide that we meant to go to. Um, they try to kill and bury the truth and conviction. Now let me pick up the story in Matthew 14, 6. When Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod. So he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Now here's a scene and it shows you how dysfunctional this family was. Right, Herod's got a birthday and he says, okay, for the entertainment, I'm going to get my daughter-in-law, my, my stepdaughter, I'm gonna have my stepdaughter come out and do a seductive dance and try to you know, seduce everybody that is there. And the wife says, hey, that's a good idea. Send my daughter out there to do a seductive dance to all our guests. And she's so good at it that he's like, oh man, I'm gonna give you everything that you, any, anything that you ask for. I mean, this is a really dysfunctional family, dysfunctional situation. And she goes to her mom and she says, well, come on, what should I ask for? And the mom's response is John the Baptist. Now why? He's locked up, she can't hear him. What's going on is that she continues to hear him in her heart. It's convicted even though, and it's like, okay, I wanna, not, I wanna kill him, I wanna bury him, I wanna get rid of this. And, and even though, put his head on the platter, I wanna mock him. What a mockery. Here's this guy that says we're wrong. I'm going to serve his head up like a, like a, you know, a dish to be eaten. That's what it is. It's mockery. And that's what our culture still tries to do. But the beautiful thing is that you see that even in the midst of this, they try to kill him, but God's truth cannot be killed. And, and so you see, let's go back to Matthew 14, 1 and 2. Um, you know, at that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus and when he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist, he has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers that work within him. Now it goes back to the question I asked in the very beginning. Why does Herod respond in this way? Now realize again, it's the beginning of the passage, but it's after everything else has happened. It's after they've arrested and, and, and you know, killed him and beheaded him. So it's month, you know, months later and here you have Jesus who's only a few months younger than John. He's actually was preaching during part of this time and his first response is, oh, this must be John come back to life. Why? Why does he respond in such a wild, illogical way? And I think the reason is, yeah, he had him silenced. He killed him, but he had he silenced him. No. No, there's still a conviction. So he hears now Jesus who's preaching a very similar ministry. And it's like, oh, that's John still getting after me. He had tried to bury it. He had tried to ignore it, but he couldn't get away from the conviction. You know, I still deal with people today. They know it's something wrong. We do, you know, did something in the past and, and it's a truth of conviction. So what do we do? We try to bury it. We try to hide it. We try to ignore it. We try to get away from it in any way we can. 
But then I think about even King David when he killed, uh, had adultery with Bathsheba and killed her husband. And, and he thought he got away with it. He buried it. He killed her husband. He, he you know, he, he was good. But look what it says in Psalm 32. He said, for when I was silent, my bones wasted away from my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was dried up by the heat of summer. And he said, I thought I got away with my sin, but in reality, it was destroying me. And there are many people, there might be some here today, it's like, man, I'm trying to bury this, but in reality, I can't escape it. I can't escape the guilt. See, what happens is we think about it and we say, okay, here's this thing that I've done and I want to bury it. I want to ignore it. But that guilt, that, that conscience that's working within us is real. And therefore, we can't just ignore it. We can't wish it away. It's, it's, it's almost like this toxic drum of toxic waste that, that's there. And we think that if we bury it in our backyard, then it's going to be gone. We won't think of it. It's, we could just ignore it. We can, no one ever mentions that we're good. But it's still there. Again, sin, by the way we're created, guilt, these things, because they're true, we can't just ignore it. We can't make it go away for the wishing. Or when we think of our culture, our culture decides to take that which God calls sin and toxic, and he says, no, we're going to suddenly declare it sweet. It's wonderful water. And, and just declaring it, that doesn't change the nature. It's still toxic. And burying it 10 feet deep in our backyard and covering it with dirt means we may not see it. It doesn't mean it goes away. It's still leaking. It's still doing damage to us. You see, our, and our hope isn't to bury something and to ignore it, our only hope is for God's light to come and to expose it so that he says, okay, now what I want to do is I want to, I want to dig it up. And I know it's painful and I know it's hard, but I want to dig it up because I want to confront it so I can heal it. And that's the drive of God's grace. Now, even in this, in everything that we're saying, if there are things that you're saying, man, you're stepping on toes, or boy, this is, or God's convicting me of this, or this is something I can't get away. And if God's speaking to you in any way today, what I want you to realize is that Everything in this gospel, when we put it together, you need to see God's conviction as an invitation, not as condemnation. We're not saying any of this to say, boy, I hope you feel guilty and walk away and, and shame. And no, 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 not at all. It's light that exposes the truth. Jesus is the doctor. The Bible is the doctor that exposes, okay, here's the cancer. And he didn't bring the cancer. It just exposes it. It's doing damage. And he's saying, I'm exposing it because I want to drive you to the, to the solution to the healing. And so in all of this, as, as hard as we may try to escape the truth, we will never be able to escape the truth. And if you're, hard, you're trying hard, you're running away and God keeps bringing it back, or you might be here today and what am I doing here today? I didn't know, you know, I just came and I didn't expect them to step on my toes in this way. That's God pursuing you out of love and grace, not out of hatred, not out of judgment in any way, but out of love and grace saying, I want to expose this so that I can heal it. You see, it's driven out of love. And what is that love? God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him, whoever acknowledges, God, I, you're the light, you've exposed this need and I acknowledge that, I ask you to forgive me and, and I believe in you. Well, what happens is he takes that thing that did condemn us and, and it's not paid for in Jesus at the cross and he offers us forgiveness, he offers us grace. We come to him with all of our mess and we say, God, expose the mess so that I can surrender to you and be healed. It's an invitation that he gives to each one of us today. And for those of us that are here and we still have realized that and, and we live in a culture where, man, we're pressured, we can't say certain things. And 
And I want you to realize that God's truth is always true. It's the truth that our culture may not always want, but it's what we need. And we have to speak truth because the truth of God's, of God's word is what drives people to see the need so that it drives us to the solution of God's grace. We're going to close in prayer and then end with communion. And it's going to, that just last statement of reminding of saying, this is how we come to Christ and what this symbolizes today. And that is it for this week's message. If you have a question about the message, Community Church, or Jesus Christ, send us a text to 330-400-3242. You can learn more about our events and community groups online at ccpl.life connect. There, you can also send in a prayer request. We would love to pray for you. Have a blessed Lord's Day, and we'll see you next week.